Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Mullinex, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. Build momentum and be unstoppable at the 2023 CauseCamp Nonprofit Conference. CauseCamp is named one of the top nonprofit conferences of the year. Everyone who attends the conference is there to work with you to solve real issues facing your organization from trivial to complex. Level up your professional knowledge and the strategies of your organization with insights from the top minds in the sector. Get to know nonprofit peers nationwide at pre and post show events and visit over 35 resource and solution providers in Camper Village. Join us on September 14th and 15th on America's Rock and Roller Coast in Huron, Ohio. For more than 150 years, people have chosen the Lake Erie region as their destination to connect with each other and create new memories. Grab your ticket at www.cause.camp and reignite your purpose at Cause Camp 2023. We'd like to thank Lasso Digital for sponsoring today's episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. Lasso Digital is your full-service partner in communications and fundraising, helping your nonprofit to raise more funds, share your vision, and achieve your mission. Learn more at lassodigital.co. That's lassodigital.co. This is Delaney back with another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. Nancy Hipschman joined me. She is the managing principal of C3 Nonprofit Consulting Group. And we're going to talk about the fact that nonprofits are struggling to compete with a for-profit sector on compensation. And she shares strategies nonprofit groups can implement to compete with the for-profit sector on employee compensation and retention. The number one strategy that she offers is to provide a thriving wage. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast. I am super excited to be joined today with Nancy Hipschman. She is the founder of a consulting company called C3 Nonprofit Consulting Group. Welcome, Nancy. It's so awesome to have you here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yes. So kick us off to get started. Tell me more about yourself and then a little bit more about C3 and how you started that consulting group. Sure. So um, a little bit about me. So I'm a native to California and I've been in compensation and HR consulting my entire career. Um, I will say that, you know, nobody grows up and wants to be a compensation consultant. We all kind of just fall into it. So um, one way or the other. And my path to this career was really forged by my love for data analytics, but also combined with just a fascination around like what makes people tick both as individuals, but also in groups and in organizations. And so compensation and HR consulting kind of is a nice marriage of those two things. So, um, and I've been doing this my entire career and basically my job is to um, help organizations figure out what to pay people. 
That's the easiest way I can think to explain it. And so when I started out my career, I was consulting to large multinational for-profit companies um, on and working with executive compensation. And so lots of zeros in that field. Yeah. And um, over time, I my my focus kind of morphed over to the nonprofit sector as I had the opportunity to work with different firms that were focused on that. And I always had an affinity for nonprofits and wanted to work in nonprofits from the get-go, but I always kind of believed that I had to make this choice between doing well and doing good. And so, um, you know, that that's always, I think that's a lot of people's struggles. Yeah. And I mean, that speaks to what you do now, you know, you're trying to help people do both. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that kind of does explain a lot of why I'm doing what I do today. Um, But I think the, and and then, you know, how did we get to C3 nonprofit consulting group? So we, um, we we're like a recently branched, um, recently launched division of Sullivan Cutter. And I'm, um, Sullivan Cutter is our parent company. It's been around for three decades. We've been um, focused as a, as a big firm in, on the nonprofit sector, serving clients in the healthcare space. And so um, our division, though, is focused on the nonprofit sector, everything outside of healthcare. And so we recently did this rebranding and a relaunch um, of our division as a way to sort of um, just re-express our commitment to the sector outside of healthcare. Um, You know, and our team is rapidly growing, our business is rapidly growing. And so we're just devoting more and more resources to, to serving organizations foundations, charities, research institutes, associations, service organizations. I mean, basically everything outside of healthcare. Yeah. So that's kind of us and who we are. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a huge need in the sector. Um, There are a lot of compensation reports uh, for the for-profit sector and lots of different job titles in that I find that it's a little bit more difficult to find for nonprofits. Like luckily the Michigan Nonprofit Association does put out a compensation report. So when people are asking, yeah. you know, what is it appropriate for, for me to pay my staff? There's at least a benchmark report for what local or regional nonprofits are paying similar positions. Um, but even that is, can you trust what they're paying like their staff to? Um, and is that, is that still the best, you know, compensation to, to attract or like retain the talent that you have? Um, but I mean, it has to have been an interesting journey coming from doing, you know, executive compensation consulting to nonprofit, uh, compensation consulting. How does that compare? Like, how does the nonprofit compensation compare to for-profit compensation? Well, it's, it's, it's really different. I mean, it's, there's so many fundamental things that are the same, but, you know, from in terms of how people are paid, there's sort of the obvious things like nonprofits pretty much have to rely on cash and benefits to 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 pay people. And you know, there's the non non compensatory things like your work environment flexibility. Um, but I think that what I found interesting about the difference is that you know, if you were to ask me this 20 years ago, I would say, oh, it's everything's different. But you know, fast forward 20 years, and as the sector has become a lot more sophisticated in terms of um, having to pay for its talent, I, I would say the the ca- the salary levels between the two parts of the market are actually becoming pretty converged. So if you're looking at like a, the same position and a like-sized for-profit or nonprofit, the salaries are going to look similar. Where they start to get different is cash compensation starts to get, parts to 
on the incentive or bonus side, you start to see a lot of that more in the for-profit sector. And of course, equity, which no one's competing with in a nonprofit. Right. Um, and so I think you, I think nonprofits are still relying pretty heavily on benefits and other, other like workplace experiences, advancement opportunities as a form of currency. So I think the currencies, I, if I put that in a nutshell, it's really the currencies are different in each part of the, the sector for profit. Okay. Well, I mean, that's good to hear that, like they're leveraging some type of benefit. Um, could you explain the concept? Because not every not everyone that's handling HR or hiring or recruiting or talent retention in a nonprofit organization, especially those that have like 10 or under employees, have any HR experience. Um, and so when putting together a job description, when explaining benefits and things like that, I think there's really often the currencies that you just referenced that they don't even put on the benefit list because they're not thinking of those things as benefits. Can you explain like what a total compensation package is for everyone? Yes. So we think about I, and some people use the word total rewards, right? So they think about like, and, and really you could also say the total experience. So your total experience as being an employee of any organization has different components. And those components are things like what you're paid. So what, what you take home in a paycheck, what your benefits are. So health, welfare, retirement are the most common. Um, but then there's other, other things like, what do you get out of being an employee? Do, is there advancement opportunity? That's it. That's a currency. That is, if you, if, if you can provide that or not provide that, you make a more or less compelling, um, workplace for somebody. Yeah. But now with, you know, since the pandemic, workplace flexibility is, is like the biggest currency. And yeah. in fact, it's kind of overshadowing cash at the moment because people are leaving higher paying jobs to take lower paying jobs in order to have workplace flexibility, like being able to be remote. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, the strongest currency I would say right now. So yeah. that flexibility. Yeah. Flexible hours, remote work. Um, I think about things like, floating holidays. Yeah. Um, so it might be the same amount of holidays, but the fact that you get to apply them to days and like experiences that are most important to you um, that, I, that I've seen that on a lot, a lot of total, total compensation packages, um, professional development money, on-site training, um, things that are, you are supplying to the employee, but you might just not be documenting in the job description. I think that's important because I find at least in my interview experience, um, almost everyone asks me if they get training or professional development. And I have found that in, especially the Gen X population, I'm sorry, Gen Z population. They almost always ask me if there's training um, because they're, they're trying to grow their skill sets. And so that's an important aspect for them. Yeah. And if you think about like another currency is like advancement. So, you know, the millennials are famous for, and I, I, you know, maybe this is true, maybe it's not true, but for re- wanting rapid advancement, where the older mm-hmm. generations might say, "I stayed in my position for you know twenty years." Yeah. But, um, so there, so that's a currency for that population. That's the other important thing is like there's different currencies in your different workforce populations. Too. Yeah. So advancement is going to be much more important to someone starting out than someone not. So. Yeah. Um, that your ability to provide growth in the job. And maybe that means that currency is title changes. Like maybe you have just a more layered hierarchical structure that you can move someone through and that provides reward for people. Maybe that's a currency in some organizations, but I think, I think those are all kind of um, 
things to think about in terms of what you can provide and and what any any organization really can provide. Yeah. So where you're seeing the the flexible work schedule or the flexible working environment kind of being a little bit more weighted than maybe the the cash, um, the income or the salary, is that the same across between the nonprofit sector and the for-profit sector? Yeah, it, it, it really is because I think the pandemic really disrupted a, a lot of things for us, right? A lot of the ways that we thought about how we can get work done, where we could get it done, if we could get it done. And I, I think we all sort of figured out, well, we can get it done. We don't all have to be together. And there's just, I think what, what's been really important for a lot of people to realize, especially in the sector, is that where you have organizations that are focused on social and economic justice, but requiring lower income workers to drive like an hour and a half into um, work every day yeah. and spending that time on the road. It's expensive and it's time consuming and it's exhausting. And if you have those same low income workers now not having to do all that just to do their job, they have like their three hours back. Yeah, absolutely. And so that that has a value for people. And so though there are populations in all parts of the economy that are choosing remote work over higher pay um, so they can have those three hours back. So yeah, time is is one of my most valuable assets in yeah. some. I could not imagine adding a commute back into my schedule. I'm like, wow, no, I just, I can't like wow. a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious. I'm in a couple nonprofit Facebook groups, nonprofit happy hour, I think it's called. And a ton of people keep asking what are strategies that you're using to keep your staff from burning out. And a lot, a lot of organizations responded. Sometimes you can be anonymous, which is really nice in that group, but a lot of people said they're giving full weeks off, like over the week of 4th of July, full weeks off in between Christmas and, and um, the new year. So this is a, this, these are times where employees are probably taking a more intentional step back anyways. And so can we just offer them that time for like relief and rest and like spending time with their families, which is where their focus is anyways. And several organizations did this. Some organizations did it once one week off for everybody once a quarter um, but that seems to be like an extremely common response on this specific thread. But the problem is there are a lot of nonprofits who do direct care in their programming. So you can't just yeah. give your entire organization staff a week off. Like that is not possible for a lot of nonprofit organizations. And so any like insight there, like how have organizations of that type implemented something similar like for instance could you do it maybe on like a like a I don't know you call that like a tiered basis where like these two staff get this week off when they get back those two staff get the week off um yeah about that it was a common question I know and it's like it you can definitely tell what kind of an organization you know, what responds to that question, because yeah, there are people like, and it's, it's also with remote work and, and community philanthropy, people have to be in the, in community yeah. to, um, to grant make and, and meet with grantees. And you can't, you can't do that from across the country. So there are lots of instances where being flexible and or giving time off is just not possible. And I think the the way that we're and what we're doing with our clients right now is that we're looking at other kinds of things besides that. So I, I have heard a lot about that. Like a lot of organizations, even in the for-profit sector, are giving off just automatically the last week of the year between Christmas and New Year's, right? Like which has been huge. 
Um, or yeah, like the whole week of 4th of July. So we're seeing a lot of that, but the the stuff that we're spending most of our time on right now um, is around paying a living wage. And we actually call it a thriving wage because we think the bar needs to be higher than just paying people enough to get by, which is what a living wage is. Yeah. And we're starting to see a shift in organizations focusing on those kinds of things, because at the end of the day, if you have to be somewhere to do your job, you have to be there. So what are other ways that organizations can think about meeting their service requirements, fulfilling their mission outward to the community, but also inward in terms of paying people enough so their jobs aren't burdened, so they don't have to have a second and third job in order to just meet household income needs. So those are the kinds of things we're seeing. So you do believe that this living or thriving rage wage can can prevent burnout. Yeah, because it like what are the what are some of the top things that that we all get stressed out about? Like money is always on that list, yeah. right? Um and even a little bit of extra income um especially if you're at the low end of the wage scale can make a really huge difference in terms of how you even just show up to work. Yeah. I mean, there there are studies that show an additional $1000 of household income can can increase um, achievement scores in children. Three thousand dollars can can increase the uh, potential for the children in that household potential income later on by up to twenty percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's so much ripple effect with how we pay people and how much we pay them, particularly at the low end of the scale. And that that's where I feel like the most opportunity is, especially in the nonprofit sector, where every day everybody's going to work with these missions that are based in social and economic and environmental and all kinds of justice, right? There's sort of like a justice thread through just about everybody. But where those are their missions, those are the things that I think can be really done to make a difference. Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. We'd like to thank Lasso Digital for making today's episode possible. Your nonprofit is changing lives, and you deserve top-tier support to tell the world about it. That's why Lasso Digital offers a wide variety of marketing and fundraising services, from year-end appeals and capital campaigns to advertising and social media management. No matter what your needs, they can help you find the best strategies to accomplish your nonprofit's goals. Lasso Digital is here to be your partner in expanding your impact and reaching the people who matter most. Raise more funds, share your vision, achieve your mission. Learn more at lassodigital.co. That's lassodigital.co. Your team mentioned something to me when they first reached out, and it was that this thriving this thriving wage can impact diversity of your employees. How exactly does that? Can you explain that? Well, I mean, if you think about the, the parts of the market that don't pay as well as other parts of the market tend to be the parts of the market where the employees are predominantly women and people of color. I mean, teachers don't get paid as much as name a job that is predominantly held by men, for example, and women is predominantly held by teaching. The same is true with nursing. The same is true with nonprofits. Yeah. The same is true. I was going to say the nonprofit sector is what 77% women. And yes. um, And yeah. And, and larger populations of people of color. And so 
I think that um, if we think about how it ties into diversity and belonging and inclusion objectives, it's really a fundamental piece of that too. So it's like marrying what your mission is with your DEI objectives and paying a living and thriving wage is really essential to all that. And it, and yeah, you're a nonprofit, you don't have a lot of money to begin with. Like how in the heck are you supposed to now do that too? Yeah. Um, there are ways and there are, there's work that we're doing behind the scenes to try to move the needle on that. And, you know, one of those is calling on grant makers to start to think about funding for a thriving wage. I mean, that's really like one of the big things to be thinking about is, you know, grantees seeking funding so they can pay people a thriving wage and grant grantors um, specifically funding for those purposes. And it's, I remember in listening to one of your previous podcasts, you guys touched a little bit on Dan Pallotta and his his comment about overhead and, and those thoughts. And I think it's, um, you know, his position, one of his pillars is he talks about compensation and how we have this visceral reaction to paying people a lot, a lot or more money if they're doing good, but we don't have a visceral reaction for people who aren't doing any good and them making a lot of money. Yes. And this is way better than I just did. Yes. But he's, he's very articulate. Yes. I know. I, I can't even. <laughs> I yeah. enjoy the way he says everything too. Yeah. Like, that's I know. I'm it's like word jumble when I do it. But, um, but I guess my, my point is, I, I think those are old ways of thinking. I think that, um, we, we like, here's another old way of thinking that if we're paying a market competitive rate that we're doing our job, like we're doing, we're, we're good, but market competitive rates in most large metropolitan areas are not a living wage. Right. Like so many organizations would be surprised to find out how many of their employees have to have a second and third job. Second job. Yes. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody asks the question. If we talk about things, you know, questions people don't ask, it's that. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of nonprofits would be surprised to learn that their some of their employees are probably moments away from needing their very own services they're providing. And we we worked with the organization yes. that fights poverty and homelessness and and kind of discovered that a lot of their employees were close to the poverty line. Yes. So mm-hmm. it's that. Like, and it's it's hard work, Delaney. It's like, and it and it can be scary for organizations to want to look at are we paying a thriving wage? Because what if the answer is no? And then you have no budget. And then what do you do? But I think um, there are a lot of organizations that are getting a little bit more courageous about exploring this and thinking about what are the what are the resources out there to help us get there if we're not already there. Yeah. How do, like you said, there's like these visceral reactions when you approach a nonprofit about paying something like a thriving wage if they're not. Um, I think that the limiting belief that is instilled in our minds is if someone did it at this, even if like the cost of living is going up, even if you clearly need more experienced talent for the position that you're like now hiring in for, you still put it out there for the same wage that you're paying. Think like, and like the things in your mind that you say, right, are, well, someone else did it for this wage before. Like I can find another person to do it at this wage. It's not going to increase my budget for next year. That can all stay the same. Like, what are things, how do you consult nonprofit leaders in encouraging them to increase their staffing budgets for the next year in order to like pay these thriving wages? Because I've had conversations with people before and they're just like, it like seems to like not register, <laughs> like that you just need to increase your budgets, like even for like their same staff, just like pay them more money. Um, and it just seems like something they don't want to touch. 
Yeah, that's where I feel like the problem gets bigger and we have to kind of come together as a community and and because it's like you have the pressure of I don't I can't spend more than X percent of my budget on overhead or I'm gonna get get a bad rating. There's that voice. Or maybe they're maybe they're running a deficit. So it seems like that is impossible and there doesn't seem like another place to cut in order to to supplement that specific line. Yeah. So you have, yeah, those sorts of things. And then, then if there's just no money, where, where does like, you're like, this sounds like a great idea, but we don't have any money. Um, I think that's where calling on the grant making community um, can be, can be something that we start doing more of, which is, and there's a lot of funders out there that, that are, are, whose very mission is to improve the lives of the people in their communities. Well, yeah. this is the fundamental aspect of that. So, and this is fairly like living wage is not a new concept. Like we've all heard the term before. Yeah. And, it, and I think a lot of the times the context we've heard it was, you know, a global company is a US based company and they're going to pay some people in Vietnam to make shoes in a factory there. And they want, they don't want to, you know, hire and contract with that company unless that company's paying the people in Vietnam a living wage. Yeah. But companies never kind of came back here and said, oh, wait, are we doing that with our employees? And then further nonprofits, which are you know mission-based organizations, a lot of it very much connected to well the well-being of a community or, or an individual, have been slow to sort of do the same thing. I mean, it's classic cobbler's children. I mean, we like every company has this problem with one yeah. way or another. But um, I think the I think calling on the grant-making community, so private philanthropy, community philanthropy, to be really thinking about you know, is there a way to, to have discrete funding for just this very thing? So people can get paid enough to have one job. That I think is my call to action. Yeah. And talk about burnout. Like no wonder people are burning out. (laughs) They have to have more. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you have to go and work another job when you're done with this one, you're not going to probably show up as your best self and you're no. you're not going to be as efficient. Yeah. And I mean, it's human nature. Like how many times everyone probably either thinks this or has thought this or has heard someone say this, but like people work to the rate that they're being paid. Like they're not going to go above and beyond. They're not going to be this like super engaged employee if they don't feel like they're even making like what they would deserve for what they're doing in the first place. Um yeah, and that's that's a big problem. This is like the whole concept of quiet quitting. Yes, exactly right, exactly right. And I think too, um, you know, again, I I want to be helpful in the way of not being like, here's this big idea, and like, but then there's no way to get there. But I do feel like um, I, I feel like there are you know there are forces out there that are trying to move this yes. this needle and. But I think the first step in any of this is like awareness, right? Really understanding what does it mean to have a thriving wage or even just a living wage at your organization. And you don't do it by individual, like you don't try to meet individual house come needs, but you you go by, you know, kind of like what's the prevalent household income needs. So for example, if you have, um, let's say that you have 20 people working at your organization and half of those people would probably are probably in that living wage kind of category. What's the population look like? Is it in what we're finding is about half of that population is usually single adults and half of it is a family. Mm. Um, so you're trying to solve for, for an average, you're trying to get closer. You're trying to look at something in the middle, something better than what you're doing now, but at least 
trying to figure out what that is and um, and get closer to what a thriving wage would look like is the first step. You don't have to do anything, but just to have a look and try to figure it out. There are online calculators that can look at what, what household income needs are in your particular area, wherever you may be. Yeah. Um, and those are good starting points. It gets more complicated than that when you try to figure out how do we solve for it. But um, but I think it's like anything, like an awareness is the very first step. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, to that point, if you learn that, again, like if you take a look at your specific workforce and you find out that a lot of them are families or have young children, they probably have a daycare or childcare expense. And like, can you make, can you help their, can you help them thrive in their environment if you can either help with childcare or give them a work environment where they don't have to need, they don't have to have childcare. Um, like you just start thinking about those things if you know exactly like what your, you know, what your workforce needs and what their issues are. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, people treat their communities and their environments better. So if you're a, a nonprofit with an environmental mission, if people can get their basic needs met, they tend to take better care of the, the their surroundings. So, you know, they tend to be more interested in recycling or like, you know, not littering or, you know, or making these things up. But there's there's all kinds of um, bodies of work out there that have shown that sort of if you elevate people's ability to just meet basic needs in their households, that everything else kind of falls into place. And, yeah. I, you know, not that money solves all problems, but um but it, it is, I mean, it's the reality. It is a yeah. really important part of the rest of the fabric that we're all working on here. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about um, even like generosity today and like the decline and like individual giving, like think about the impact that if like all employers had this, this thought of like paying a living wage, a thriving wage, how generosity would increase. Um, yes. Like the reciprocal effects of that. So um, I love that you mentioned the companies who have staff um, that aren't necessarily like domestic employees, if they're a U.S.-based company, I actually was shocked. I met an individual who employed several um, staff in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, the cost of living is extremely low. And what he pays those staff is maybe a third of what he pays an American employee. And I kind of, I had this like cringy gut feeling and I was like, that you're not a good person. You're not paying these people what they deserve to be paid. If they should be paying, be paid the same amount as in America. And he goes, Delaney, I go and I visit them and they are like living in luxury in the Philippines. And he, he could not, you, but to your point, he could not say that about his American staff. They are not living in luxury because yeah. of like their cost of living. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really complicated. It's like, I, I definitely am not saying that I'm the first person to, to talk about this or like, or that I'm suggesting something is easy, but I think what's happened is this is just becoming more and more important as we think about being really mission consistent as nonprofit organizations. Are we, are we, are we fulfilling that mission all the way down to our core, which is, you know, the people that are actually doing the good work of the organization. Yeah, that that is, I mean, it is a hard question. It's like it's requiring organizations to turn inward and say, like, are we walking the talk? And I get it. It's hard to do if then you're like, great, I would be happy to walk the talk if I had the funds yeah. or I didn't have these other pressures. But at the at the same point in time, we're all pretty good at problem solving and figuring things out and finding resources. And I think if if the desire is there, 
then um, the resources will find, they'll find you. And mm-hmm. I think that's why we have to put some pressure on the different parts of the market, like, like the grant makers for, um, for one. And I think, yeah. um, I think there's really good and there's really, there are people out there that are focused and, and, and um, granting in the space. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm curious to know, um, you know, where, where some more of your passion came for this topic um, do you have like an influential person in your life who has inspired the work that you do? You know, there's probably so many people I could list, but, um, I can just say this, that my very first employer out of graduate school, um, I worked for a small company in Los Angeles. So, um, Catherine and Al Meek were my employers and, um, they taught me a lot about, we worked with, um, like a lot of populations in manufacturing. So we were designing compensation programs for hourly workers and things like that. And I got to see really firsthand how much a difference, a little bit of an additional compensation made in people's lives. And one of the tenants that they sort of always talked about, and I, I don't know if this, how explicit this was in their mind, but it was very explicit to me was to err on the side of generosity. Yeah. And that's always stuck with me is, um, you know, if there's ever an opportunity to sort of um, think about what you can do with what you have um, and how to, how to amplify what you have, if you come from means or privilege to act, how can you amplify that to help others? And I, I feel like Catherine and Al like really taught me that in a lot of different ways, very subtly, they weren't sort of out and about about it, but their way that they ran their business, the integrity that they had and, and the way they walked the walk, they didn't have because you saw it. Yeah. And, and they were very good, gracious and generous people with all of us. So, um, I have them to be, I think, thankful for, for planting that seed that's now 30 years later growing into something where we were getting some momentum. Yeah. I think that's super important because I did not have that seed planted. Um, I had the opposite where it was like the leaders were always like not giving raises, like not compensating people. And so everyone experiences that differently. So you were lucky to have those, those mentors. Yeah. Um, well, it's time for good news for nonprofits. We always end our interviews with this question. Um, would love for you to share a bit of good news with the nonprofit listeners today. Good news is that there are people doing all of this good work around Thriving Wage. I think that um, we are seeing a, like a lot of groundswell in this space, and I think we're seeing other signals in the market. So I think help is on the way. Um, more than we have conversations about paying people in the nonprofit space what, what they deserve and not and thinking about it a little bit less traditionally and more about mission alignment and realistically paying people um, a decent income in the space the more we talk about it the more likely it is to actually happen so i feel like that's the good news and it's good news that people like you are helping to to amplify this as well so i think it's all good news yeah the conversation is definitely growing and hopefully that is followed with action too soon Um, Well, it was a pleasure meeting you, Nancy. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks so much, Delaney. Great to meet you and talk today. All right. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast.